Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. How is writing stage plays similar to psychotherapy in general and ACT in particular? In general, all stage plays are about telling a story about the adventures of a character trying to achieve an aim. This character is faced with obstacles he or she struggles with and in most cases overcomes. The hero's struggle with obstacles constitute the drama. In psychotherapy, the client also has an aim or what we call an act of value direction and is also faced with the obstacles of life, which most often pull him off track. A person coming to therapy comes for exactly this reason. He or she is reacting to these obstacles or challenges in ways that often provide short-term relief, but in the long term are self-destructive. The job of the psychotherapist and the ACT therapist is to help the person to react to these obstacles in a more flexible manner, which helps him to learn from these challenges and get back on track with his life. This is pretty much exactly what the author does with his hero. Today we're going to learn more about these, how these very two different professions actually share very similar processes. Our guest today is the prominent American playwright, Michael Downen. He is a member of Penn, of the Dramatic Dramatis, oh, Dramatist Guild, the Writers Guild of America, and the Playwrights Center. Michael is the author of High Thin, Thin Cirrus, and The Light from Distant Objects. You can read more about Michael and these plays and other programs he has done on his website. You can simply click on his name on this week's episode of ACT Taking Hurt to Hope on webtalkradio.net. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Joanne. Michael, our listeners are always interested to know about the man behind the pen. So what? tell me what got you interested in writing. The radio, actually. When I was a kid, uh, there, there was uh, very little television, and certainly no television series programs as we know them today. So I would, like many youngsters of my generation, I would listen to what were called radio serials in those days when I was a boy. Listen to programs such as the... Uh, the Lone Ranger, The Green Hornet, Terry and the Pirates, Steve Canyon, and things of that sort. They were, they were just simply 15-minute serials, as they were called. They were adventure stories that were particularly of interest to a, 
to a young boy who would uh, also have read perhaps Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn and, and uh, things of that nature. And I discovered not only that I, I just really enjoyed the stories, uh, I was so intrigued by them that I would actually look behind our floor model General Electric Radio and try to see if the characters were in there. <laughs> and of course they weren't. But uh, as I said, not only did I enjoy the stories, I wanted to create my own. That was the beginning. The, Michael, tell me, um, when you think of yourself back as a boy, what could you say what type of um, uh, psychological function those stories might have had? Is it a form of escape? Is it a stimulating? What, uh, what do stories uh, mean to children? Hmm. I think all children uh, love stories. Think of uh, putting your own children to bed and what do they want as they're going to bed? Read me a story. Mm. And there's something within us as, as children that needs uh, perhaps the assurance that might come from, from hearing a story. And typically the stories that we heard as, as children, stories that were read to us going to bed, were stories with happy endings. Mm -hmm. And happy endings are comforting, mm -hmm. and they perhaps provide, provide that, that soothing feeling that a child has in going to sleep at night, or a child needs in going to sleep at night. That's my take on it, anyway. Uh, okay, so, so if, you, if we think Michael, about your own life, it, does um, writing uh, help you with your own life challenges? Uh, it does, uh, first of all, simply because uh, it, it, it's in my nature uh, for me to be a writer. So in a sense, I'm working out whatever that is that makes demands on my psyche. And the similarity for me also lies in the resolution uh, of conflict uh, when I'm creating a fictional tale, it in a way I think is working, helping me work out whatever conflicts might be existing in my, in my being at, at that particular time. It's very difficult to explain, but my grasp of it is that, that I can take whatever it is that I'm writing and apply the resolution of conflict in a fictional setting, uh, perhaps to the resolution of conflict in my own, own life by by looking toward an ending, I suppose. Okay, you know, Michael, maybe we could tell the radio listeners that I was once your student um, in a writing class, and one thing that you taught me was uh, uh, the idea of perspective taking, which is something that uh, I use in psychotherapy. And what you taught me was that um, uh, we're actually looking from different points of view. I think you use that language. Um, for psychotherapy, um, a person comes to therapy with a certain perspective. I mean, in a way, the person is carrying their own manuscript. And they, are, they come in saying, this is the way I am. And the person has essentially painted themselves into a corner because they're saying, uh, you know, there's, this is, I'm suffering and there's something wrong with me. And what's wrong with me is in the past, which I can't solve, and so help me to feel better. And essentially, the ACT therapist's job is to help the person to see that that particular point of view or perspective is not helpful for them because it's got them painted into this corner. And so the ACT therapist's job is to help them see if you could try another perspective which might be more useful. 
And often if you can get them to change their perspectives, you see immediate change. Now, how might this apply to you as an author? I, I, I think that's a, that's a wonderful analogy because uh, when you begin writing a script, you have to decide from whose point of view the scenario is going to uh, emanate, so to speak. So there are, there are technical terms that are established to describe what these are. For example, you have an omniscient narrator who is the person telling a story who sees it from every possible point of view. Uh, think of uh, certain novels that you might have read. Go back and look at them and see what the point of view was from which these were being written. If it's, if it's a narrator who knows everything about everybody, that's called the omniscient narrator. You also have a, a limited omniscient narrator, and I'd like to throw away these technical terms, but they are what apply, so we'll, we'll use them in this case. The limited omniscient narrator would be the one who takes the perspective of, let's say, one character in the entire story. And from that character's point of view, we can see everything, but we don't, we're not able to see the story from the perspective of the other characters that are in it. So imagine uh, we've got Harry, who is the omniscient narrator. Harry sees everything that's going on, and Harry's able to uh, analyze it and talk about it and, and so forth. But then you have Ruthie, who is only seeing it from one perspective, or a limited perspective, and she sees it perhaps only from her own point of view or the point of view of herself and a few people that might be around her with whom she has regular contact. So the whole thing is the idea of getting, getting the perspective and how a particular perspective limits your, your uh, objectivity uh, in some mm -hmm. cases. Mm -hmm. It limits your ability to resolve uh, whatever's going on, because you don't know the whole story. Mm -hmm. And I think therein lies the secret. Mm -hmm. You don't know the whole story, unless you're the omniscient narrator. Okay, so, so if we make a parallel to what you're saying, uh, the omniscient narrator, if a person could lift themselves from their personal manuscript or their role they're playing and see from a higher position and see the, the, the whole context and the different characters, this would probably be what, what exactly what they would need to solve the, or, or, or to, to, to take a different perspective, not maybe solve the problem, but um, uh, to look well, at if, things if, in a different way. If I, if I may interrupt, and I think where you're going is that that person, the omniscient narrator, is, as you said, looking at it from above, is able to see the every aspect uh, of the story. As though you were in a uh, up in a in a satellite from the Earth, one of those so-called spy satellites, looking down, and you can see everything uh, from the perspective of the satellite. Thinking of the satellite as the omniscient narrator, it mm -hmm. sees everything and it's able to record everything. And that would also be the best therapeutic position, rather than being identified with a very limited role. Exactly, that's what I think. Anyway, yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it makes for. Uh, it, sometimes it's problematic in writing because if you are able to write from the perspective of the limited narrator, it in fact makes it easier, typically anyway, uh, for the writer. You can put yourself in Harry's shoes or put yourself in Ruthie's shoes and look at it from that perspective and then create the, uh, the uh, auxiliary characters, if we, you will, 
and having their story told from, again, that limited perspective. It simply makes for easier writing than the omniscient narrator perspective does. Mm-hmm. That sounds good, Michael. If, if um, I were to ask you, for our radio listeners, uh, what type of advice would you give radio listeners? What, what could be helpful? What kind of, of uh, writing habits could be helpful, if, both for therapeutically and, and just generally in life? Well, I, I think it's important. I tell my writing students and have told them over the years uh, to, uh, as a practical matter, have a notebook with you. Observe, observe, observe. Make notes on what may seem inconsequential at the moment, but somehow strike you as perhaps interesting. Write it down, and you find someday, more likely than not, that it will be of interest to you. Uh, just not necessarily uh, as a writer, but as part of your growth as a human being to help you determine, and I think this is more uh, in the light of what your, 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 your uh, studies and work uh, consist of, to get a feel for what people, what life, what their life is about uh, in, in the group and uh, as uh, individuals. And uh, that's, writing works for me in that, in that respect because it's a process of discovery. I'm discovering not only that I'm a, what I'm able to do as a writer, which is of course always intriguing and frankly quite surprising sometimes, but more so and most importantly, I think, who I am as a, as a human being. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. Michael, um, we maybe could tell our radio listeners that we're sitting right now in Mexico. Yes. Uh-huh. In Puerto Vallarta. And walking with you the other day downtown, you were looking into different, the different homes. of. Uh, tell the listeners what you were thinking, she told me. Oh, well, um, Typically, in, at least in this city, uh, Puerto Vallarta, where we find ourselves now in Mexico, and which is my home uh, of, of late, if you walk down the city street, it's quite common for the homes to be open as you, as you walk along. And it's almost, in fact, like, uh, oh, I would say, as a, looking on a stage set, and I, that's how I see it as a playwright. And I think anyone with uh, any sense of, of perspective uh, will notice uh, that it's much like that. You're look, you, you can help, simply because we are human and as humans we are curious, uh, you can help looking in and seeing family lives taking place. Uh, it's like a shadow box, as it were. Uh, you can go from one door to the next, to the next, to the next, as you're walking down a single block and you see these the lives of the people uh, being carried on. And what strikes me in particular here is that there seems to be an overriding joie de vivre, if you will, a happiness among the families that you see. And it's quite difficult also to turn away from, I know it it can be considered uh, perhaps impolite and perhaps even rude, but looking in, but one can't help but look in. And I think you're captured by the, the essence of these lives which for me, uh, exudes, uh, 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 as I said, a joie de vivre or, or a happiness uh, among these members of these families. And they're, and they're multi-generational, too. I find the families, there are grandmothers, great-grandmothers, mothers and fathers and children, and, uh, and so forth. And even the pets here seem, seem to be uh, part of the whole 
the whole uh, feeling of uh, family as it exists within these little things, the, seeing inside these little casas that I see, as I said, as a playwright, as stage sets, or something akin to that anyway. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're also a lot like, uh, if you know the artist Joseph Cornell, his uh, Joseph Cornell's boxes, there are, he sets up little lives in these things. Mm-hmm. And in and, and a kind of a, perhaps I'm stretching the analogy a little bit, but they're not unlike that at all. Mm-hmm. So, so seeing perspectives from other points of view and from other people's lives uh, is probably also a help, healthy uh, psychologically that rather than um, being in your own your own, your own story. skin, so mm-hmm. to speak, or being mm-hmm. in your own. Sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we are as human beings. Are we are? I think we're looking. I think we're looking to be acknowledged, and acknowledgement perhaps comes from <clears throat> the the realization, the verification that other people's lives are not unlike our own lives, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. out of that comes a a positive affirmation of who we really are. And who we really are is what we call being human, in, in my perspective, at least as a writer. That's what I, it's all about humanity, who we are as people, how we interact with one another, how we get along, how we don't get along is the conflict, of course, that, that uh, I create when I'm writing a play and other writers do when they're writing novels or short stories or whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be. Thank you, Michael, for being with us today in this program. One use of narrative is an exercise that is very cheap and simple to do in order to change perspectives. This idea I got from working with authors like Michael. I created this exercise for working with former child soldiers in Sierra Leone on a project we did there to help these soldier, former soldiers with their traumatic memories as they were now working as therapists and counselors for street children in Sierra Leone. This letter is, this exercise is called the love letter. This was an exercise that the former child soldiers thought was the most effective treatment in what we did in our ACT project there. Anyone can do this exercise, it's very simple. All you need to do is to choose a memory that is still hurtful for you and write a letter to yourself. So it's from the perspective here and now to you in this hurtful situation then and there. So you're not writing from the event but rather from your perspective here and now to uh, you, the younger version of you then. I'd like to read my own love letter to myself and then a letter from one of the former child soldiers from Sierra Leone just to give you an example of what this might look like. Love letter to a 15 year old. Now this is my own personal letter. You are not alone, not now, not later, now ever. A catastrophe is brewing in your life at this moment. 
the center of your life is dying and all life as you know it is about to dissolve but not the way everyone thinks this is your secret the local newspaper writes that Carolyn has died only 40 years old so young what did she die from this is your secret the family doctor writes natural causes on her death certificate that Saturday evening in August after you kissed her a final time. This is your secret. The worst was not that she died, but that you wished this ending. This is your secret. The truth was that her death was a great relief for you. A relief from hurrying home from school scared of where you would find her fallen body. A relief from struggling with those men she called to our home with talk of nymphomania before she passes out. A relief from seeing the woman you loved take her life slowly but surely despite your attempts to stop it. This is your secret. I see you in front of the church next at her funeral in your sailor dress and long red hair promising yourself that this would never happen again. You are carrying the most terrifying secret of all. You are not worth more than a bottle. This is your secret. I want to wrap my arms around you and tell you, you are not alone, not now, not later, not ever. Now let me read for you a similar exercise uh, for one of the former soldiers, one of the former child soldiers from Sierra Leone, and this was from this year. Uh, he. Uh, Daniel is now 23 years old. He's writing to himself <clears throat> as a nine-year-old where he became a child soldier. So, to Daniel, nine years old. You were just a boy. Disoriented, confused, hungry. You were just a boy. Soldiers, machetes, screams. You were just a boy. Mother, I can't protect you. Sister, dragged off. You were just a boy. Promises, food, guns, power. You were just a boy. Blood, empty eyes, screams. You were just a boy. One day it stopped. Soldiers ran off. Can I go back? You were just a boy. These are just some examples of how narrative, what you can learn from writers, can be used. Uh, in act therapy and how you could use this yourself. Today you've been listening to Michael Downen. 
He's an acclaimed American playwright. Our guest today has been the prominent American playwright Michael Downen, who is a member of Penn, the Dramatist Guild, Writers Guild of America, and Playwright Center. Michael is the author of High Thin Cirrus and his recent play, The Light from Distant Objects. Read more about Michael on his website by clicking his name on this week's act, Taking Hurt to Hope, on webtalkradio.net. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.